way before men were around to write about it. And it just so happens that the Bible, with 40 different authors, 66 books, written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents, is perfectly in sync, cover to cover. It's in sync with science. It's in sync with nature. It's in sync with history. And it is in sync with itself. It doesn't contradict itself. It complements itself and confirms itself thousands of times. If you can go to the next slide... Have a cool picture. So y'all might have seen this picture. This is every single cross-reference in the Bible. And if you were to like connect them, right, it makes this this rainbow. So y'all want to guess how many that is? Y'all know? 63,000 cross-references in the Bible. Right. So, yeah, the only plausible reason for this type of consistency in a book written by a Stone Age, Bronze Age people Right. Is that God is the actual author of the book. Right. And that's where we get the consistency from front to back from 1500 years. There's no way I could write a book or continue a book that started. What year is it? From 500. Right. If Constantine wrote a book and I finished it, there's no way that I'd be able to. Right. Be on the same page as Constantine. Right. But in the Bible, we have that type of consistency. So today, to cap off the series, we are looking at Romans 4. So you can turn there. We're going to be there all day. We've seen Jesus call back to the OT, the Old Testament. We've seen Philip call back to the Old Testament. Now it's time to see Paul call back to the Old Testament as he's teaching on faith. So faith and belief are are topics that we can get from the Bible front to back. Uh, not just in the New Testament. We might assume that it's a more of a New Testament thing. Um, I have some. Ah, oh, sweet. Okay. So if you look, I mean, this is reason to think it's a New Testament thing because it's only used in the Old Testament 171 times. In the New Testament, 287 times faith is used. The word believe is used in the Old Testament only 26 times. That's crazy. But then in the New Testament, it's used 392 times. And then if, on the other hand, like the word command is used 718 times, but only 131 times in the New Testament. So there's this huge like disparity, right, in the use of the words in the Bible. But how many of us know that there's ways to teach a lesson without saying the word over and over and over again? I think if you're if you're a parent or if you've had a parent, you know that. Some of the most important and meaningful lessons come without a lecture. Right? Um, I know my dad. My dad taught me the meaning of self-discipline without ever having. Well, he definitely used the word self-discipline. But the most impactful lesson that he taught me in that was the way that he lived his life. Right. My mom, the most impactful way that she taught me about compassion was the way she lived her life. There were plenty of lectures. Right. There were plenty of booklets and lesson plans and speeches, right? But the things that stuck with me most and still stick with me are the lessons that I saw them walk out. And so in the Old Testament, we see faith walked out a lot. In the New Testament, we get a lot of lectures on faith. And so in Romans 4, Paul is in the middle of a lecture on on faith. So there's all this talk, right, in the New Testament about faith. Romans 3 22 says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
right? Romans 3.26 says God justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're a Jew in the New Testament church, in the early church, right, and you've become a Christian, you might be thinking, okay, what is all this talk about faith? What, why, you, why do you keep talking about this? You might be thinking, hey, are we nullifying the law by this faith? Right. Which is what it says in verse 31. Because they would be used to their, their righteousness coming from the law, right? right? Right. I've never heard of this before. This this faith, this faith, this faith. I'm used to law, 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 law. I'm used to command, 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 command. Do, 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 do. Right? And so what Paul is teaching, it, it, it might sound weird. It might sound like there's not unity in the Testaments when it comes to faith, when it comes to belief and our justification coming through that. But that's because God doesn't give us a lecture in the Old Testament on faith. He teaches us through the life of Abraham. So if we continue in Romans chapter four, now I'm kind of moving a lot, but I'll slow down right now. So Romans chapter four, verse one says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, so I get, okay, I've heard this a lot, right? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But that next part is kind of confusing. Um, And I, to be honest, I had to read this passage like, 50 times this week. I do not. It was hard to understand. So I'm going to try to break it down so we can all understand it. Maybe on the first time. Um, So verse four saying, okay, if I do works, if I keep all these commands, then that means I'm doing it as an obligation, not as a grace, not as a gift. But if I break these commands and I trust God for justification, then my faith is credited to me as righteousness. That's what this scripture is saying. So why? Why even say this? Why, why have a whole lecture on this? Paul is trying to renew. He's trying to renew their minds. See, a misunderstanding of the Old Testament would cause someone to do things out of obligation rather than out of faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Notice I didn't say the Old Testament teaches us to do things out of obligation rather than faith. I said a misunderstanding of the Old Testament causes us to do things out of obligation rather than faith. Right. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Religious people doing things out of obligation? No way, right? So in thinking about that, I want us all to, if you're writing something, if you have something to write down, or even if you if you have perfect memory in your brain, think about maybe three things that you might do out of obligation because you're a Christian. Three things. Maybe it's uh, wake up early and go to church because I have to, right? Or I'm having this conversation with this person because I feel like I have to. Or not doing what all my friends are doing. I'm not going to the party. I'm not drinking. I'm not hooking up. Because I'm Christian, I, I, I can't, right? What are some things? Think about maybe three things that you feel like you do just because of obligation. Now, if doing those things got you to heaven, then you should be super proud. 
right? You have all the right to boast. You should wear it on your sleeve, right? Look at all this stuff that I did to get to heaven. This is, this is why I'm getting to heaven. When we go up to, right, when we're judged, we, we say, hey, look, God, look, I did this, I did this, I did this, right? I should get in. In fact, if you if doing those things got you to heaven, then it would be like God owes you heaven after a good day. Right. That's the way that that thinking uh, results. Right. God, you owe me heaven. And so it's kind of like I hope this example makes sense to everyone. But in the next slide, I have a picture of Chuck E. Cheese. Y'all remember Chuck E. Cheese? Is there anyone who doesn't know what Chuck E. Cheese is? Okay, so remember, you go to Chuck E. Cheese or you take your kid to Chuck E. Cheese and they play all these games. And if you get a higher score in the game, then you get more tickets. And the more the more tickets you have, you can take those and bring them to the counter. And so in Chuck E. Cheese, you should be really, really proud. If you got a high score, you should be really proud because you got tickets. Right. You get the high score on Whack-A-Mole. Right. You beat the Ninja Turtle game. You beat Splinter or whatever. Or you got a high score on ski ball. You should be proud. You should be proud of all the tickets that you got. And at the end of the day, Chuck E. Cheese owes you a prize. You see the ticket counter on the next slide. Uh, this is all nostalgia for me. <laughs> right? You go up and you, you hand them your tickets and you say, I deserve that right there. I have 100 tickets. I deserve the Superman doll. Right. But Paul is explaining to us that religion does not work this way. Right. Amen. What arrogance do we have to think if I do all these good works, I go to church, I have the right conversations, I live the right way, and God owes me heaven? Right? What arrogance is that? A proper understanding of the Old Testament should lead us to think in a different way. Right? So if we go to verse 6 in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 6. Amen. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Okay. This is how we should be thinking, right? It should just be blessed. Wow. Thank you, God. I am so blessed. Why am I so blessed? Because my transgressions are forgiven, because my sins are covered, because the Lord will never count against me my sins. That's where it all starts. Right. On the opposite hand, there's some people who their sins aren't forgiven. There's some people who they have no reason in their personal life to say, bless God. Right. Or they don't think that they have one. But how blessed are we to be forgiven by God? In the same way, we should be thinking, how blessed am I to even be able to just go to Chuck E. Cheese? Right? I know my parents, they would let me know, hey, not every kid gets to go to Chuck E. Cheese on their birthday. Okay, You better be grateful. Right. So if we can keep it right here in this mindset that David had, if we can think of this, if we can think how blessed I am, how blessed I am to be forgiven of my sins. If we can remember that as much as possible, then we'll start making some progress. And the obligation thing. Now, let's continue with verse 9. So this is a big chunk, and we're going to try to understand it as best we can. So it says in verse 9, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but also who follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, if you got that on your first read, then great, (laughs) great. Um, I'm an engineer. Reading is not our strong suit. It's math. So we're going to break this down a little bit. Paul is using the law of circumcision in this passage as an example of good works, right? So circumcision back then, it was a big deal to the Jews because it was a sign that you were right with God. It was a sign that you were the people of God. It was a work. It was a physical act, right? And so this is why Jews back in that day, they had so much so much issue when Gentiles would come into church and try to, you know, be saved. Like, what are you doing? You're not the people of God. You haven't had this work done, right? You, you don't have this seal of righteousness, right? And so Paul is trying to explain to them that, no, 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 that's not how righteousness works. That, that work, that circumcision doesn't make you the people of God, and nor has it ever been that, right? It has been faith in God that makes you the people of God. So knowing that and understanding that, this helped me understand it. If we replace the word circumcised with doing good things, right? And then we reread the passage, it might help us to understand it because I doubt any of us are struggling with circumcision theology today, right? But we might be struggling with the works that we got to do all the time or the faith that we have, right? So if we, we're going to replace everywhere where we see circumcised with doing good things and see if this makes any more sense for someone in today's perspective. So verse nine, is this blessedness only for those who did good things? or also for those who didn't do good things. We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he did good things or before? It was not after, but before. And he received doing good things as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still not doing good things. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not done good things in order that the right that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of those doing good things who not only are doing good things, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was doing good things. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that dumbed it down. I know I needed to dumb it down. Um, so there some big takeaways when we read it this way is Abraham was justified by God for his faith before he did works. So what does it mean to have faith? I thought of this example. Uh, When you tell a a child that you're going to give them internet time in five minutes, right? They will believe you. They will believe you. And they don't have the belief that they have when you tell them 
oh, I'll give you internet time or game time in five minutes. It's not just a, oh, okay, cool, in the back of their head. No, no, no. It's a belief that possesses like their entire existence, right? They start, they start getting goosebumps. They start anticipating, right? It permeates everything inside of them, right? If they could salivate, they probably would, they probably do salivate, right? <laughs> that, that is faith. When God spoke to Abraham and he believed and it credit and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness, that was the belief that Abraham was filled with. Right. It was that childlike faith. That is faith. Right. And we can think of other people in the Old Testament who had similar faith. Right. We think of Abel. Right. Second page of the Bible who gave a favorable um, sacrifice to God. This was way before circumcision, way before laws and stuff. But he still was justified by his faith. We think of Noah, who believed what God said and went and built a huge boat. Right. And he was justified by his faith. This was way before circumcision. And then we have Rahab, who helped the Israelite spies because she had faith in Yahweh. Right? God justified Abraham and all these people before all this, all these laws and stuff. So, what does it mean to be justified? So, to be justified means to be pronounced as righteous. To be justified means to be pronounced as righteous. Mm. To be forgiven, to be pardoned. And when we read that scripture, I don't want us to think like, oh, God likes that, you know, we're not doing good things because it can sound like that. Right. God is not. It's not that he's happy with our ungodly condition. We're not justified because of our ungodly condition, but despite our ungodly condition. And therefore, justification is a miracle. Our own justification is a miracle. Yeah. Now, if you were to walk around thinking, man, my righteousness, my justification is a miracle, right? Rather than thinking my righteousness is earned, right? Look at everything I've done. Look at who I am, right? How much more humble would we be? How much more kind and gracious people would we be? Yeah. If we keep that miracle in our heart, how much gratitude would come from that? How much joy would come from that? How much happiness would come from that? To know that I am a miracle walking. Yeah. <laughs> Number two is circumcision. Verse verse 11 says he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision is a sign that came after the faith. Our works are signs of our faith. I don't know what the slide says, right? Works are a sign that come from faith. Yeah. I think we can get this mixed up sometimes, right? We expect signs before faith. And that's literally putting the cart before the horse, right? I think we sometimes we can judge people on how they act, what they say, what they believe before they've even had one Bible study, wow. right? And I think about like, what if people judge me on how I acted before I had one Bible study? Like, I wouldn't be here. I would not be here at all. Um, what's funny is the, the guy who studied the Bible with me, he later on, he's like, yeah, Nathan, we didn't know if you were going to make it, man. We were. I was like, what? Dude, I, I loved studying the Bible so much. But imagine if like he was just taking my outer works as an example. When inside I was built, like my faith was growing every single Bible study, every single scripture they showed me, my faith was growing and growing and growing. And my works caught up to my works caught up to my faith. Uh, eventually, it's still kind of. 
So surely we don't want to try to teach people works before we teach people faith. Faith should be the number one thing we're shooting out. Right. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ should be the number one thing we're shooting at everybody. Right. It, it, we, I think we know that like people, non-Christians don't like being told by, by Christians that they need to do better. Right. Right. That, that doesn't accomplish anything. You need to stop doing that sin. Like no one that doesn't help. But what would help is if they understood the gospel, if they understood that they had they could have their sins forgiven, if they understood how much God loved them. Right. That would generate those works that we tend to focus a little too much on. So an example this week um, I had to be kind of checked on this, right? Um, because sometimes, be transparent, sometimes teaching kingdom kids is hard for me. I don't have any kids. I'm not good with kids. I don't feel like. And um, sometimes I'll have rough classes and I just I just don't know how to do deal with it, right? And so I asked someone for advice. I was like, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you teach kingdom kids? Or how do you, how do you teach kids church? Um and they said, hey, well, what if you had a perspective of gratitude rather than grumbling? Mm. I was like, oh. <laughs> He's like, what if, what if God is creating in you these fruits of the spirit that you'll need, right? What if he's teaching you self-control through teaching the kids? What if he's teaching you patience and kindness and joy and love through teaching these kids, right? What if God is doing something bigger than just you know, singing fun songs with kids and telling them, please sit down, please sit down, right? <laughs> what if it's bigger than that? <laughs> what if you, he said, what if you went into that saying, I get to teach kids kingdom rather than I have to teach kids kingdom, right? Now, and I was just like, well, thank you, God. Okay, that's it. Okay, you, okay, okay, thanks. All right. So, what if I was walking around, if I was walking around thinking, man, it's just a miracle. I'm a walking miracle. My justification is a miracle. It's, thank God, how blessed is the one who's forgiven, whose sins are covered, right? If I was thinking like that, then I probably wouldn't be grumbling as much when it comes to teaching kids. I'd probably be more willing to serve and more happy to serve if I had that mindset. So when we find ourselves grumbling and getting burnt out, doing things out of obligation, it's probably time for us to focus in a little more on the gospel, right? To get a good, good understanding of it, to make that the central motivator of our works. Remember, faith comes first and works are a sign of your faith. So the amazing things that we see Abraham do, the disciples do, Philip do, Paul do, these were signs of their faith. And this justification by faith actually ties the two testaments together. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of transition into thinking about communion right now. If you think about this, this makes communion so important. The justification by faith is something that was from Abel, from Adam and Eve and Abel all the way to Revelation. Communion is very important. It's, it's more important, arguably, than singing, than dressing up, <laughs> than having a sermon, right? It's more important than giving tithes. It's more important than anything. 
right? Communion is when we ingest the gospel, when we take in the gospel physically and spiritually. The message about Jesus, that his body was broken for us and that his blood is the blood of the new covenant between God and man. The promise that God made to us, right? The same way that God made a promise to Abraham while he was standing underneath the stars that day, right? God made a promise to us through Jesus Christ. And so when we take communion, it's an opportunity for us to be filled with that childlike faith that Abraham had that night. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on the miracle, the miracle of our justification. And we take it on the first day of the week, because what a better way to start our week than by taking in the subject of our faith and physically and spiritually. That's another thing. Communion is deeply, deeply spiritual. I think in our Western mindset, we trivialize things. Communion is a spiritual act. It's as spiritual as baptism. It's as spiritual as prayer. And so as we take communion today, be thinking about these things, be praying about these things, be worshiping about these things. Thank you. Start communion. All right. Um, Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for forgiving us, God. Thank you for free salvation, God, Um, a salvation that we do not have to earn by running around and fulfilling 600 different laws, God, that you give it to us freely by our faith, by our heart. God, I pray that you work on our hearts, God. I pray that you work on our belief, God. We believe, but help us with our unbelief. God, we we are following you, but help us with the, the areas that we are not following you very well, Father. God, I pray that we will walk around knowing that justification is a miracle. And I pray that we will have an attitude of gratitude rather than grumbling with the things that we are doing. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.